Welcome to the LA Realtor Podcast. I'm Paul with Great Builds. And I'm Sarah with Glen Oaks Escrow. And we're getting to know the industry one conversation at a time. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. You know, I really like your voice. Oh, thank you. Do you do any voiceover work? <laughs> now that you mention it, yeah, I'm taking a workshop. That sounds amazing. Yeah. You want to do a voice for I us? Don't. Or... No, okay. I don't. I really right. don't. <laughs> okay. All right. That's fine. You just got to trust. Maybe one day I'll get you to do a voice. One day. Maybe you'll hear me on the radio. Ooh. That would be fun. You'd be good at commercials. <laughs> Good guest for us today. I know. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, I think, look, realtors know about this topic, but I think we're going to delve really deep and I think we're going to learn a lot. I've used this company in the past personally when I've done transactions. I think a lot of people have heard of them, but I don't know this gentleman, but we're gonna, about to get to know him. So I'm excited to bring on Chris Griffin, who is the co-owner and president of LaRocca Inspections. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. You worked with LaRocca? Well, I haven't because I'm not a realtor, but oh. my mom, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure my mom does all her inspections with LaRocca. Yeah. They're big. I mean, you guys have a lot of competitors, but you're obviously, I'd say a pretty big name in, are you just Southern California here? Uh, yeah, actually our, our main service area is the LA basin, Southern California. We've been in business since 1994. So we're celebrating our 30th anniversary next year. And yeah, we have competition. Nothing that we're too concerned about. Yeah, right. How many? Just out of curiosity, how many inspections a year do you do you think you guys do? All right now, we have about twenty two, twenty two inspectors. We've had as high up to close to thirty, but we we run anywhere between fifteen to twenty two. And how many inspections is that? Do you have any idea what the like on an annual basis? How many inspections you do? Well, thus far since our incorporation in ninety four, we've done almost two hundred fifty thousand inspections. Well, wow. you can break that down by week if you want. Yeah, let, let me let me do the math for you. Every minute you're doing two and no, yeah. Okay. Each inspector typically cool. works in three three slots a day time frames. Okay. So they'll typically do three. The specialty inspection companies, we also do sewer line inspections, chimney inspections, and mold inspections. They do four slots a day. So each inspector on the physical end has an opportunity to do three a day. So times five, you know, that's 15 a week. And then uh, the specialty inspections are four every day. And your background, were you an inspector at one point? Is that how you got it? I was. My background, mainly I was a plumbing contractor for nearly 20 years. I was also a general contractor. So my background is construction and the trades, if you will. And I started with the Rock Inspections in 2000. So I've been with them for 23 years and started as an inspector. That's correct. That's wow. cool. That's cool. And now for somebody who might not know exactly what happens at an inspection, can you walk us through what that looks like? What are you guys looking for? What do realtors need to know about preparing for that, preparing their clients for that? If anything even needs to be prepared? I think the best preparation for realtors to have with their clients, whether their clients be buyers or sellers, is sort of helping to manage their expectations with the inspection. Many, many clients buyers and or sellers think a home inspection is like we're going to dismantle the house and tell them everything (laughs) that's going on inside the walls and so forth and so on. They really need to know and they understand that this is a visual inspection that only the areas that are open to view can be inspected. We, We don't dismantle any equipment and we operate things using normal user controls. So in other words, if there was a 
missing light switch and there were two wires hanging out of the wall, we're not touching those wires together to get the light to turn on. If that normal user control is missing or it is damaged or not working in any way, we're going to be reporting on that. There are three major categories that we report on, and that basically is functionality. Does the item function properly? Safety, is it safe to operate? And then also the design life expectancy of that item. Is it nearing or at the end of its useful service life? And then we categorize those into importances. We have things like needs attention, not acceptable, serviceable, safety alert, things like that. And we're there to focus on the five major systems. The major systems of any structure essentially that's habitable is plumbing, electrical, heating and air conditioning, roofing and foundation. So we're looking for those things that are good and bad. I think that's an important point. I think many realtors or or clients get scared that, oh my God, they're going to come out here and only find bad stuff. We report on what's correct too and what is good so that there's an ability to have perspective and compare, you know, the two. Yeah. You touched on something interesting. The inspection can cause conflict during a transaction, (laughs) right? Because the good stuff is great. Everybody's happy. But when there's something that's an issue, uh, the buyer's presumably potentially going to want it fixed. The seller's going to say, well, that's ridiculous. Right. We all know about this. Every agent has been through this. So the challenge with inspections, I'd love kind of to get your comment on this is there's the obvious ones. This light doesn't work. Like you just mentioned, it's got to get fixed. But then there's ambiguous, like, well, it's probably getting close to the end of its useful life, or maybe like there's that sort of not red, not green, but sort of that yellow light. How should agents, sellers, buyers look at the ambiguous parts of an inspection? It's a fantastic question. I spoke to having perspective just earlier in my recent comments. And one of those things is that we have to understand that unless you're buying a brand new home, you are buying something that does come that has what we would consider typical wear. And uh, some of that component's life has already been used. So we look at it from a viewpoint of if it's functioning at the time of the inspection, because the inspection is for the time of the inspection, then we would report it as functioning, though it may need a correction or repair or replacement in the future as it continues to wear out. But I think, again, we focus on the more important items. Let me just step back here a second. In the, the residential purchase agreement and joint escrow instructions, basically the contract that the realtor has with their client, And there's also another document called the Statewide Buyer Sellers Advisory, which is a uh, California Association of Realtors document. It talks about inspections and what the sort of parameters and hats are of both the seller and the buyer. The seller's not required to do anything. They're not required to do anything. The inspection report typically by the agent representing the buyer is being used to make their request for uh, repairs and or credits. That's basically what that report's being used for. It's important to understand that since the seller doesn't have to do anything to completely eliminate that sort of ambiguous area that you're talking about, pre-listing inspections would be the one thing that I would recommend. Absolutely, because then you're managing your seller's expectations. They may not even know that their roof is older. They think they had a new roof put on, you know, four years ago when it actually was 24 years ago. They just forget about those things and whatnot. They don't crawl underneath their house or get up into the attic. So they're really not very familiar or intimate with the working components of their home. So having that 
the pre-listing inspection could could sort of bring them up to speed. They can price the house accordingly based on that. They can decide to disclose all of it, and they can decide to say it's being sold as is, which is exactly what the contract says anyway. But typically in the contract is as is, depending on what the inspection finds is what as is is. But then you're right. leaving it all up to the buyer to be on that end of it. Mm-hmm. Let's get the empower the sellers a little bit more by being upfront with that information. And you create a great rapport that way with a buyer in the first place. So I know that's a long-winded answer, but that's where I would go. No, that's a really good point. I mean, like you brought up an interesting point that I've always kind of wondered about. Let's say you have a roof. It's a 30-year life roof and it's 20 years in and your inspector can kind of tell it's starting to lose some of the granules, whatever it is. The seller just wants to sell it as is. I mean, I would. The buyer's thinking, I'm going to have to replace this roof. It might start leaking. It's 20 years in. So there's like, there's black and there's white. I want to sell it as is. I don't want to give you a credit. The buyer's thinking, I want you to credit the entire roof. Just just either build me another roof, re-roof it, or give me the 15,000. I mean, but really there's gray area in the middle, right? In theory, I know I'm asking kind of a hypothetical question. In theory, you could say, well, why don't you give me 5,000 or whatever, some part of what I will pay for a new roof? Am I thinking about that correct? It doesn't need to be black and no, white. No, I think you are thinking about that correctly. I actually have a viewpoint of you should negotiate by time. In other words, if that is a 30-year mm-hmm. roof and it has 20 years in it, then you have 10 years of life expectancy on that roof. If the buyer really is making trouble out of that, which I don't think is very common, but when you're pushing up into that five-year zone, especially with a roof, they are going to think about that because that's a $50,000, $60,000 investment oftentimes for a 30-year roof. So essentially, you would amortize that negotiation to deliver them maybe five years worth of roof life left, like what that would be in in a uh, monetary amount. You could also have a roofer, especially in the case of a roof, a roofer, a professional roofer, a roofing contractor can come out and certify that roof. In other words, they can give the buyer a document, basically almost guaranteeing that this roof is going to last X with maintenance throughout the next few years. You should get increase the longevity of the roof or it'll be leak free or whatnot. So you can help to, again, manage the expectations and help the buyer become more comfortable with accepting that. As an inspector, I wouldn't really recommend buyers or agents to really request anything that's not broken or doesn't work. Period. They're buying they're buying a 1950s home. They're buying a 1950s home. That's all. They can't expect a brand new air conditioner or brand new things in that home. There it's not a brand new home. Even if those components were upgraded, likely they were upgraded 10, 15, 20 years ago, they'd still be in working condition. Right. Let me ask you this. You guys have done a lot of these inspections, hundreds of thousands. What is the most common thing or things that would that you'd say come up in inspections that people should think about agencies? Another great question. I don't know if that's a blanket answer because it, it, there's common things on certain types of buildings. There's common things on residential. There's common things on commercial. There's common things on multifamily. The number one thing that is causes the most issues in, let's say, any structure is moisture intrusion. So if we have improper ground drainage, perimeter drainage, Uh, We don't have roof gutters on. We have sprinklers pointing towards the house, so forth and so on. That is going to cause damage to that structure over time. And that's probably the number one thing that we find causing damage. But honestly, in all cases, I would suggest that the number one thing that's found as a whole, as a category, is deferred maintenance. 
not a lot of homeowners, for whatever reason, whether it be money related or they're just getting on in their years and they don't feel like working anymore on their home or whatever, I don't know, but they just let things go. Things that are not seen are not important. If they're not looking in their chimney, then they don't remember to clean it. If they're not crawling underneath their house to see the pipe leak, they only find out about it after it manifests itself into a bigger issue where water's coming out of the uh, front door or the front crawl space access. So whatever damage that's done, it's already occurred. So that deferred maintenance, we, I would recommend yearly inspections even after you're a homeowner, just to just keeping an eye on things. And that helps to keep everything maintained and, and properly working. I would also recommend my clients continue to up their, their home warranty program. Oftentimes sellers provide the home warranty program during the, you know, at the end of escrow on that purchase, but why not re-up it and just, just pay into that insurance program? It's great insurance. Yeah. So when it comes to the, the general inspection, we've talked a little bit about that, but there's the possibility the inspector might call out, I think you ought to do a more thorough inspection of the chimney, the sewer, the mold. This is beyond my visual inspection, to your point. They might even say, you might want to call a plumber. You might want to call an electrician. I mean, there's a lot of systems that they might say, look, it's getting older and you may want to get it checked out, whatever the comment is. So what's your feeling on that? Some buyers seem to not worry about it. They just get the general inspection and some buyers and agents seem to want every specialized inspection and so on and so forth. You guys obviously do chimney, mold, and sewer, and there's probably a reason you concentrate on those three, but I'd love for you to talk about at what point do you get more beyond the general inspection? Yeah, great. Basically, our inspectors, they're taught to have perspective. Obviously, there are inspectors out there that would just tell you to call an expert for anything under the sun. Unfortunately, that would mean that your, your home inspection if you were to do that, call out your roofer, your plumber, your electrician, your heating and air conditioning guy, your foundation guy, the termite guy, the sewer, the chimney, the mold inspector, you would be running into $10,000 per project as opposed, right. right? as opposed to a general physical, which is anywhere between probably $350 to $600, somewhere in that general range, depending on the size of the home. The idea behind the general physical is they're akin to, let's say, your, your family practitioner as a doctor. You would go to them for your regular checkups and to just sort of keep on top of your, of your health yearly and whatnot. And then if you're complaining about something particular, like in your elbow, they may recommend further evaluation by a specialist in that area. So our inspectors, if they're finding things that are in those categories of not working properly, safety, or beyond their expected life, they then are going to recommend the expert to answer those questions that we as generalists can't answer. In other words, if the pipe's leaking, then we need a plumber to fix the leak. If the pipe's leaking because the pipes are getting old, we need a plumber to immediately fix the leak and tell the client, whether they be the buyer or the seller, how much longer they can expect those pipes to remain intact and not leak, or what needs to be done as an immediate fix and how much will it cost. So it's not that we're recommending experts all the time. We're recommending experts when those then when that item falls into one of those particular categories. And it's beyond the scope. Remember, a home inspector in the state of California, like our home inspectors, are CREA certified. It's the California Residential Inspection Association. So they have a certificate that says they're a home inspector, because anybody can be a home inspector. There's no licensing requirements and there's there's no licensing in the state of California. 
So, and they have a scope. In other words, they have a hat that they wear that outlines exactly what they're supposed to do. Now they can go beyond their scope. Absolutely. And to be helpful, we often do answer questions that maybe we wouldn't be too comfortable with answering just based on our experience. And we can go on beyond our scope and inspecting something that we decide to inspect. But in general, the scope is to determine what condition it's in at present and then recommend further evaluation by the expert if it falls into one of those categories. I have a, I'm just out of curiosity. I have a question about determining the lifespan of something. Like you guys have mentioned the roof multiple right. times. What systems or things in a home would you apply that to? And what are things that like, what is, what is it that you can tell that is different that is going to change the lifespan of that item? That's a good, a fantastic question. <laughs> let's say, let's say a plumbing system, for instance. There's varying pipes in plumbing. You've got galvanized steel, you've got copper, you've got different grades of copper, you've got plastics, polyethylenes, all sorts of different PVCs, all sorts of different plastics. And each of them have a life expectancy. Life expectancy is expectancies of any home component. They're not made up by us. In other words, there are there is an agency. As a matter of fact, the Bank of America, along with the Builders Union of America or Builders Trade of America, I can't remember the exact name. They did a study of home components many years ago, and they actually created a book that said how long this component should be expected to last. The manufacturer of those components will also kind of let you know how long the service life is. So we don't make it up. In other words, there's an accredited agency that sort of gives us an idea, like an average life, life expectancy of a water heater is eight to 12 years. I have a water heater in my home that's going on 20 years and it's still working. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Here's the deal. I have a water softener in my home. So I'm taking out the calcium and magnesium, those things that break down the inner workings of a water heater. So it's to be expected that we're going to get a longer life expectancy out of it, right? Going back to those pipes, if you live in an area that has like a high acidic level or high calcium and magnesium hard water in those pipes, then the type of pipe you use could, if a galvanized pipe typically would last 30 years, you may cut that life in half because you're installing galvanized pipe in an area that has a caustic, if you will, water to the pipe. So it sort of erodes it faster. So there's average life expectancies, and then there's life expectancies that we would particularly be watchful of in any particular area. But here's where it gets funny is let's say you have attractive homes that were built in the 50s and they had galvanized plumbing, galvanized old, which is the old you know version of it. And now people want copper and they use copper. So many people have replaced the copper plumbing in those neighborhoods that a buyer might come in and make an offer on a house, then find out they have galvanized plumbing and they might say, well, I want, as part of my repair request, I want you to upgrade your plumbing to copper, even though to your point that you just made, Chris, uh, from a few minutes ago, is that house was built in the 50s. It came with galvanized plumbing. Yeah. But nobody wants that anymore. So that's that. That's another gray area. You said the key word there. <laughs> you said the key word in a real estate mm. a real estate transaction. There's upgrades, upgrades, mm. repairs, or replacements. An upgrade again. I would just the agent has to smartly negotiate the contract. This is an upgrade. This is not a seller requirement. A seller is mm. right. a seller is not required to do anything. Most certainly not upgrade the property to sell right. it. So when you are upgrading, if, if you get a professional plumber out there or a home inspector who basically says, yeah, you know what, you've got galvanized water piping and oh, it's 30, 40 years old and it seems to be doing okay. I don't see any rusty colored water. I don't see any leaks. I don't see any areas that are 
causing any concern. The, the volume of water and the pressure of water seem to be okay. So we may be at the upper end of its expected lifespan, but yet it's still performing well. Beyond that, I don't believe it's fair or right for a buyer to request, well, you have to put in all new copper for me. It's an upgrade. It increases the value of the home. As a seller, if I were to do that smartly, I would say, okay, fine. But the home price just went up 10 grand. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that, right. but so my question to you is, you've been doing this for a while and your inspectors have, have agents ever called you, I would imagine listing agents, and said, and we're upset about what you put in the inspection report or is that, is that just not happen? Um, it can. It can. And, and to be honest with you, I find that most professional agents who know the game and know how to play the game and realize that we're not there to try to destroy their deal. Right. We're, we're there to just be truthful and, and make everyone aware of the, of the conditions that we find. We believe that transparency is key. In the real estate world, we have location, location, location. In the inspection world, we have disclose, disclose, disclose. So we believe that Anything, good or bad, on the table and is known about can be dealt with. Anything that's unknown or hidden then can potentially turn into a problem later. So, yeah, we get blamed sometimes for blowing a deal. But I'll tell you what, one for one, an agent that would call me and say, Chris, your inspector blew my deal. And I would say, well, how did my inspector blow your deal? Well, he said we had holes in our roof. Well, do you? Hmm. Yes, but he didn't have to say it in the report. You know, it's, it's kind of like, okay, you know, I don't know how to report a true condition without saying it in the report. And then also the other thing I would remind them is, well, did you call me when you when your client blew up and said, I'm not buying this house because the inspector reported blah, 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 reported this or that. Did you call me? Did you call me and get me on board and, and, and go into negotiations with your client and really sort of bring some perspective to the problem that was discovered? Because a common problem has common solutions. And with common solutions typically means that the cost of those solutions are going to be relatively low. I think you guys get scapegoated sometimes too, when a buyer gets cold feet and they want <laughs> out of the deal. Oh yeah. It's the inspection report. That's the reason I'm bailing. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. you as an agent, you've seen it. You, 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 if, if, you, if you're a real estate agent, you, you've seen numerous inspection reports and you can take a look at this one going, wow, this is about one of the better houses I've seen in you know, the last year of my transactions and you've got this buyer is getting cold feet and they decide they don't want it. And then they basically, like you say, blame the inspection report. Can you think of an instance in your career where you inspected a house that was just a mess? so unreal and surprising? <laughs> you know, I used to think when I, when I first began my career as a home inspector in 2000, sometimes I would walk into a house that was so dilapidated. So, I mean, years of deferred maintenance you could tell the roof's been leaking. No repairs have been made. There's just kludge and clutter everywhere and just really a mess. And I thought that those were the hard ones to inspect. And as I learned, as I went through, it's that they're actually the easiest ones to inspect because basically all you have to do is talk about everything as a whole. You don't have to try to figure out every faucet. It's basically right. the plumbing system has, is original. It's never been upgraded. It's suffering from dot, 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 dot. A licensed plumbing contractor should come in and further evaluate and really give you an idea of what it's going to take to upgrade. I've seen houses. I do recall one inspection in the Hollywood Hills in Silver Lake, basically. And it was a home on stilts. And as I'm driving up to the home, I'm basically looking at what I think is the home <laughs> I'll be arriving at. And I was like, I hope it's not that house. 
And I arrived and it was that house. And basically the foundation was shifting and starting to slide down the hill. Wow. It was a vacant house. I didn't want to go inside of it. My clients and agents and the uh, listing agent showed up and not to, I basically said, look, I don't want to alarm anyone, but please give me one moment as I quickly have a, have a peek at the foundation before we go into the house. And of course, the listening agent immediately went, oh my God, you're, we got an alarming inspector here. I went underneath the house and sure enough, the main foundation was split in half and it separated by a foot. The front oh left corner God. of the house was dipping down by about eight inches. So I took a quick picture of that and I said, okay, well, that's, that's all I need to see. I'm not going to crawl around underneath there looking for more than that. I was, it was a relatively dangerous condition. But I, re- I basically came out and I told my buyers, I, sa- I said, I think you, you really do need to move on. It's very, very rare that a home inspector makes that call. But I was unwilling to yeah. inspect the house for the safety of myself and others. So I just said, I think you need to find something else. And I gave them the information that I had. I don't want to throw shade at those homes in LA on stilts, <laughs> but I am not living in one of those. How do you feel? I don't know. Like I've I never, love it. what makes me like Laurel Canyon, the yeah. Canyon makes me nervous because it's always landslides in right. there and there's a lot of houses on stilts in there. I'm not a fan. So it makes me worried about the soil and all that kind of stuff. But right. the Sherman Oaks Hills, like mm. they seem pretty secure. Yeah. Just because they, I mean, they seem secure. Maybe it's newer. I don't know. I'm sure. They're fine. Look, if, if you <laughs> no, know, they're the same I, as I the know. houses on, on, on the ocean in Malibu right. we, in, in the, in 1984 or something, we had a huge storms. My father's house was sucked into the ocean and yet they were designed wow. to be, to be, to be there. Wow. With every catastrophe like that though, we, we create better and better building codes and stricter and stricter uh, laws, building laws and, and safer to make things safe. Yeah. The 1994 earthquake created much safer buildings. Yeah. Yeah. If you built me a house on stilts today, I'm okay with that. But the, the ones up there look like they're from the fifties, thirties, twenties. Yeah. Thirties. How long does foundation last? Can it last forever? I mean, to date? That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, a foundation left on its own devices, le- left without any moisture damaging it, and left without any seismic activity or other earth settlement or movement. Typically, a concrete foundation can last nearly indefinitely. Eventually, the moisture in the air will start to erode the concrete where you'll start to see the aggregate, which is the small stones inside concrete. For instance, in Pasadena, if you look at, if you go into some of those houses, those beautiful craftsmen's that were built in the late 1800s or early 1900s, those foundations are still standing and they're still structurally supporting the building, but yet they're starting to do what we call spalling, where, where they're starting to show that aggregate and the concrete is starting to dust away just because of the years of the moisture in the air. So a hundred years, 120 years, you can get out of that, but you can shorten that in half by not Hmm. properly taking care of your property drainage or your roof drainage. Literally letting that moisture pass through that concrete will just destroy its life in half easily. Let me ask you about this, Chris, and I don't know if most agents are familiar with this, but, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but your inspections come with a sort of guarantee or a warranty if the inspector really, I believe, misses something glaring. Is that right? Can you talk about that? Well, I wouldn't put it in that sort of terminology. There is no guarantee or warranty. There is an insurance policy. (laughs) Every one of my inspectors is insured to a million dollars of errors and omissions insurance. We also carry, if you're familiar with your residential purchase agreement, joint escrow instructions, there's a clause in there 
that says the buyer shall provide general liability insurance for anyone who comes onto the property on behalf of buyer. I don't know of one buyer that's ever provided any of that insurance. We started carrying Mm -hmm. that years ago when I discovered that in the RPA. So I could deliver and be fully insured for our client and the agents on site. So if there is a problem of a blatant miss, we basically will take responsibility for it for the most part, as best as we can. If the monetary value of that blatant miss is just so astronomical, then we would use our insurance. Any inspector that's going to miss something that big where we have to use our insurance is no inspector of mine. That, that, that means literally you just walk through that house blindly. But a home inspection is not a guarantee. It's not in lieu of a disclosure or a, a, uh, a TDS, a transfer disclosure statement. It's not in lieu of the AVID, the agent, agent's visual inspection disclosure. It is part of the contingency period documentation of discovery. So it's not in lieu of any of those, and it's not a guarantee or a warranty, but yet it can offer peace of mind in the fact when you're choosing a home inspector, just make sure they're carrying the appropriate insurances and that they have longevity and experience in what they're doing. I'm guessing it doesn't happen very often, right? They don't miss too many things. No, it really doesn't. It really, really doesn't. You know, unfortunately, you bring up a good point and something I alluded to earlier. There's no licensing requirements, nor are there any licensing available in the state of California. You can become certified by an accredited home inspection agency, such as CREA or ASHI, the American Society for Home Inspectors, so forth and so on. But that doesn't make you a good inspector just because you're certified in those or are members of those. How long you've been doing it, what your experience is. I don't know, do, you, do either of you golf or scuba dive? No. Okay. <laughs> I scuba dive, but I don't golf, but I have, okay. I have nearly 3000 log dives. I'm an experienced diver, but that doesn't mean that my wife, she has maybe 50 log dives. So she is a juvenile diver, newer, not as experienced, but that doesn't mean she can't dive. And that doesn't mean she's not a scuba diver. So it's sort of right. the same thing. It doesn't mean you can't be a home inspector if you just decided to be a home inspector. So you really want to look right. for what their experience is. How many have they done? Also, remember, there's different types of projects. You wouldn't want an inspector who's an expert at inspecting condominiums, four square walls, a heating and air conditioning unit on the roof, to go in and then do a 100-unit apartment building. It's a different animal completely. It's a completely different animal. So you want to find out their experience in that project that you're actually involved in in your escrow. And do you have a variety of inspectors with different specialties on your team? Correct. That, that is correct. Cool. Obviously, all of our specialty companies, the sewer line, the mold, and the chimney, those are all specific inspectors to that particular inspection. But we have commercial inspectors, industrial inspectors. We have expert condo inspectors. We have single-family unit dwelling inspectors up you know, with a pool and a spa, uh, with a guest house. Yes, we run the gamut on those. And eventually, m- eventually every one of them in La Roca, especially because they go through a a tier of training where they start out as a lower inspector. We do our own in-house training and then they move up. Eventually they'll all be at that upper level where they can inspect commercial, industrial and anything below that. That's cool. Let me finish out with this question for you, Chris. Uh, We talked about a lot of things with regards to what agents might be thinking about. Is there anything we missed that you think agents need to know or think about with regard to inspections or did we hit it all? 
I think we hit most of it in general form and fashion, this podcast being half an hour. I mean, I could talk to you guys for hours on end about the, <laughs> the, the ins and outs, the special little things and whatnot. I think managing client expectations during the inspection contingency period is extraordinarily important. Finding inspectors that have perspective and that are there and able to communicate after the inspection if any questions or problems arise. Agents who refer their clients back to their inspector. Here's here's something that I would request of every agent out there. Instead of trying to wear the hat of the general contractor, the electrician, the inspector, the mother, or the father, just wear your hat as a real estate agent. Your brokers should tell you in your documents that you are not experts in many, many different fields. And you're most certainly not experts in the home inspection arena, even if you've sat in on 200 home inspections. What you're doing is you're still doing your documentation and your work for your client as their realtor. You're not doing the inspection. Refer your clients back to the reports and back to the inspectors who generated those reports for the answers that they have that come up afterwards. I've seen so many problems where the agent said, oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Whereas the inspector said, no, worry about that. That's an important item. And the client doesn't find that out until after escrow closes. And then they say, well, I asked my agent and they said that that bubbling of the crude oil in the front yard was no big deal. (laughs) Um, But in your report, it says it's a huge deal. And uh, yeah, I never read the report. (laughs) Read the report and refer to the clients, uh, refer your clients to the experts who are generating them. Are you you saying have a buyer actually call the inspector? That's okay? Is that protocol all right? Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Remember, okay. we're under we're under contract with that client. That client, your your uh, client, it's your client, and you referred your client to us. But the second we go into a contract mm-hmm. with them, we are now obligated to service them the best we can, and they're obligated to follow our rules and parameters too, just like they're following your rules and parameters in your residential purchase agreement. That's really good to know. I don't think I was aware that you could reach back out and ask questions. I thought it was just like, you you get this report, you've been made not aware of this and that's that. So that's really good information to have. You know, we are on your team. We want that. We want that transaction to occur. We're not there to stop it, but we also need to be allowed to cultivate and blossom our relationship with that buyer or seller separately from via a real estate agent. It protects right. you as Amazing. a real estate agent too. It's the layer of your True. onion that helps protect you legally or or in any sort of, you're doing your fiduciary duty. You're basically, that's the person you need to talk to. I'm not that expert. You talk to them. It really is, offers you better protection. That's smart. That's smart. Well, thank you, Chris. This was, uh, you were a wealth of information. We appreciate your experience of 23 years and you sharing that with thank us. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for coming was, on. Bye. That was a lot of fun. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for today's episode. I'm Paul with Great Builds. And I'm Sarah with Glen Oaks Escrow. And if you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you'd like to get in touch, please email us at larealtorpod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.